Well, it's fun to be here in Louisville, Kentucky. I, um, my name is Holly Freitas, and um, I have um, was here in, um, I think, in 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005 time frame several times. Um, in 2005, my husband and our children and I um, started our journey working overseas. And uh, since 2006, I've been working in um, in Tanzania and living there. I currently live in in Tanzania. Um, came from straight from Sudan, doing a women's uh, cycle life training in Sudan. And um, I'm here today to share with you about the women's cycle of life um, program. And there's a couple of ways to learn about the Women's Cycle of Life program. And the first one is common to many of us. Um, and that is uh, hearing about it and just um, getting the theory and getting all the bullet points. But what we really like is stories. And so I'm going to tell you some of my story and what we're doing with Women's Cycle of Life in Tanzania and other places in the world. Um, your um, little booklet says, Women's Cycle of Life Leading to Community. And when I read that, I'm like, leading to community what? Well, community transformation. And um, that's what we're talking about is um, Women's Cycle of Life Leading to Community Transformation. And um, I'm here to tell you that I have witnessed in miraculous ways where um, this Women's Cycle of Life training has transformed a community. Um, <laughs> I cry right before my very eyes. Um, and in the last month, I was um, just three weeks ago, I was out with my Maasai ladies, and I saw things that I had never seen before. I did a, um, a what you would call an appreciative inquiry with them about all the good things that are happening in their community. So we were just talking about those things because I'm, I've been working out there with them doing just women's cycle life um, for the last year, and every month I go out with them, and for the first several, uh, for the first several months, Holly would show up, <laughs> and then the ladies would come, and Holly would bring, you know, make sure that food happened, and make sure the venue was ready, and pull the, you know, to chairs around, or the benches around, and for the first several months, I thought, oh, Lord, <laughs> and I prayed, how are they going to ever take ownership of this? You know, I'm doing, I'm coming, I'm doing. They're waiting for Holly. Holly comes. She teaches. They're done. They're supposed to do and go out and teach in the communities. And um, so I, um, I prayed and I asked my prayer partners to pray. Lord, would you help them to take ownership? What is it that you want for them? How do they become mobilized from the inside out to do and to become kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? You know, we pray that, and many of these ladies in my Maasai community are um, believers, and we pray that. But what does that look like, and how do they begin to embrace what kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is like? And so um, I prayed, and um, I did what I knew best um, in working with the lessons and teaching them and helping them to try to take ownership and identify their um, problems and come up with solutions. And still it seemed like month after month 
they were waiting for Holly to show up to move to the next step. Well, last month when I got to one of the communities, and I kind of I alternate between two communities, and maybe I'll explain that more if I have time, um, because there are two sister communities, so one month I'll go to one, and the next month I'll go to the next one. And um, I went, and I hadn't been there in one community for a little while, and um, so I was doing this appreciative inquiry and asking them what's good about this place, what's happened here, and they started to list all the things that they had done and the things that they had recognized were needs that they had. And I said, well, and what's that little building over there? And they said, it's our clinic. I said, where did it come from? They said, we built it ourselves. And I said, you did what? They said, we built You told us we could. And nobody had ever, it was a surprise to me, here was this little clinic um, build out of sticks, and I wish I, I actually left my camera so that they could take pictures of more things. Um, so I wish I had the little picture that they had built, just like their homes, a little clinic so that when mobile pl- clinic came by every month, that they would have a place to examine patients because, you know, the cl- mobile clinic would come and they would do maternal child visits in the back seat of the of a car. And if you've ever been a very pregnant woman, you know that that isn't very comfortable or conducive to maternal child checks. And so they saw the need, and they did it themselves. And as I was in this, I was almost like a fly in the wall on this um, meeting that we had together, and uh, they chose what they're doing next. And it totally shocked me. It was not what I was expecting, what they were going to choose. I thought, oh, they're going to want microenterprise, and I'm going to be trying to convince them, you know, and help teach microenterprise, which I love to do, and it's totally fine. But sometimes communities, you know, it's easy to head towards, well, we need to make money. Um, well, they didn't choose to do that. They were actually making water filters um, out of what they don't have in their own community with skills that they already have with somebody who already knows how to teach them, um, and they're doing it themselves. And just this last week, they were going to have a meeting to um, start their community uh, health program themselves and uh, and elect officers, so that's very exciting. Anyway, so that's kind of the beginning story of, of what's somewhat behind this. Um, I work for um, both Medical Ambassadors International and um, Reach Global for EFCA and, and kind of do a dual role, and one of my roles is as the International Consultant for Women's Cycle of Life um, with medical ambassadors, and my region of the world is Africa, all of Africa and kind of North Africa, although we, I share that um, with another gal named Marcia who works in kind of the South um, American areas, Asia, South America. Um, she works, and I have the other half of the world in Africa. Um, we also um, do some work in the U.S. as well and um, teach people about women's cycle of life, um, leading to community transformation there. And so there's, if you're interested in those regions, there are several um, pamphlets over there, cards for the different regions. There's also a, a sheet showing who works where so that you can connect with us if you'd like to. Well, I'm going to tell you a story, and then I'm going to help you be somewhat interactive with me. This is the story of of Martha, and it's a story of a case of maternal death. 
Martha died in childbirth with her seventh child in the small district hospital. The physician in charge had no doubt why Martha died. She died of of hemorrhage. The condition that she had was what we know as placenta previa, and invariably a woman with placenta previa will bleed during her pregnancy, and with untreated, she will hemorrhage. Her mother went to the hospital to collect her daughter who had died and the baby and take them home to the community to bury them. Even after several months, Martha's mother was still grieving the loss of her daughter and her grandchildren. She understood that her daughter died because of the bleeding, but she felt as if that were not the whole reason. She was going to town anyway, so she decided to stop by the hospital and ask the doctor who was in his office to explain more about her daughter's death. When she got to the hospital, the doctor was kind and brought her into his office. He pulled out her daughter's file and began to explain the reasons for her daughter's death. On reading the file, he told her that she was admitted to the hospital with severe bleeding. Well, Martha's mother already knew that. She'd had a transfusion, but there wasn't enough blood in the hospital to recover the blood loss that she'd already had. He tried to do a cesarean section, but she had already lost too much blood and died during the procedure, as did the baby. He also revealed that this was not the first time that Martha had started bleeding. In fact, she'd had two minor bleeding episodes during the same month, but on both occasions the bleeding had stopped by itself. Now, this is a very dangerous signal in pregnancy that Martha and Martha's mother didn't know that. It always indicates that a severe attack of bleeding is coming. Well, even before the pregnancy, Martha was not a very healthy woman. She suffered from chronic iron deficiency anemia, anemia sorry, caused by malnutrition, and she'd had a recent case of malaria. In addition, Martha followed the traditional ways and didn't eat during the last month of her pregnancy. The severe anemia and the lack of energy from not eating contributed to the fact that she could not endure this extra blood loss. Her reserves of blood were already low. Martha had several cows and goats that provided milk for her family, but since it was the dry season, they weren't producing well, and most of the tea she drank was black. Martha didn't go to the hospital or the clinic during her pregnancy because her husband said that it cost too much, and she was afraid to leave the animals and the children for the whole day. Martha lived in the village and had taken four hours to reach the hospital from the time she started bleeding heavily. No one in the family had a car, and so her husband and her friends put her on a bicycle, and they pushed her all the way to the clinic. When they got to the clinic, 
The nurse agreed she needed to go straight away to the hospital, but of course there was no ambulance. A truck came by two hours later, and they loaded Martha into the truck, and they took her to the hospital. Now Martha was 39 years old, and she'd had six other children. She had three boys and two girls and one child who'd already died in childhood. Martha was concerned because of the food shortages and had not really wanted to become pregnant again. But since she'd never had any family planning education, she was unaware of how to prevent another pregnancy. In addition, because of her age and how many pregnancies she had, her, this pregnancy carried a much higher risk than her other pregnancies. There was a small church in Martha's community, and she just started to go recently and started to feel and think of how she might have her life changed. But unfortunately, before she'd had a time to make a decision, Martha had died. Now, Mother, Martha's mother went home to the village, and she thought about all the things the doctor had said. <coughs> when she arrived home, she had a meeting in her boma with the other ladies in the homes that lived, were around her to tell them about all the things that con- contributed to Martha's death. Together, they thought through the whole story and brought things that symbolized each problem that contributed to her death. After identifying the problems, the women began to discuss each one. It seemed like so many things, and they started to feel overwhelmed. So they decided to vote and pick the three things they thought they could change first. So what did you hear in this story? Please, this is now participatory. That is a question. (laughs) What did you hear? Martha didn't have to die. Martha didn't have to die. She wasn't aware of her own condition, like the risk factors involved. Okay, she wasn't aware of her condition and the risk factors involved. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, her her death brought about change. Uh huh. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. What else? Yeah. She was unaware of family planning. She was unaware of family planning. Uh huh. So she couldn't make choices about her fertility. Uh huh. Lack of transportation. Lack of transportation. Hmm. What else? Some cultural traditions that that led to her death as well. Uh-huh. What else? On top of that, it was, it was a mix of cultural and economic and situational. Like it wasn't just <coughs> Yeah, it was a, a mixture of cultural and economic and situational. Mm-hmm. It seemed like she really understood her, her, her mother understood the condition, so the doctor sat down and talked with her. Like, it was just accepted that she died because of bleeding, but... Okay, very good. So she kind of knew the outcome, and that was accepted. Yeah, but when they sat down and talked about, then she started to, to recognize all the things. Uh-huh. Nutrition. Nutrition played a factor. Very good. Yeah. Yes? She wasn't educated. 
Okay, she wasn't educated until she asked the question. Very good. Good. So when I ask my ladies, <laughs> does this happen in your place? Well, this is their story. <laughs> they know this story because it happened to them. So what are we going to do about it? And that's the question next. What are we going to do about it? How do we address these things? Well, what did you hear in the story that Martha's mother did? She asked questions. She asked questions, uh huh. She gathered women together to talk. She gathered women together to talk. Very good. What else? She was assertive and culturally that's not always acceptable. Okay, she was assertive. Ha, ah, there's always one in the crowd. You can always find one in every crowd. Yes. What else? They prioritized. They prioritized. Very good. Yeah, now this is the process that we lead women through as we begin to bring up these issues. Um, there are so many things, and you start thinking, and the community thinks, well, where do we begin? Um, where do we start? And so um, by using this kind of story, using Martha's story, um, we can help them to be able to identify the problems and then be able to solve them one by one in their communities once they've um, done some prioritizing. Um, there are tremendous challenges in reaching women with health, education, and the gospel. Um, Normally in a class, I would do this in a, in a method where it is participatory, and we ask you, what are the things that make it a challenge to reach women with health education and the gospel? Because we find that they're the same thing. Illiteracy and low education levels are very, very common in the places that I work. Um, in Tanzania, among the Maasai ladies, um, there's upwards of... 95% illiteracy rate among the women in the community. And I was shocked in, a, in some research that I did with them for HIV um, to find how few of them actually spoke the national language. Um, not speaking the national language for women separates them from any of the, of the, the education materials that are available um, information that would normally be available to the general public is not available to many women because they only speak their local tribal language, and that is a, a tremendous challenge. You would probably tell me, too, that they're very busy at home. They have lots of work to do at home. Um, statistically, we know that women do about 90% of the work um, in the communities, and they're very busy with child care, um, carrying water, carrying food, um, farming, many things. And so they're very busy taking care of the home and the children. Women are also may not be allowed away from home and need to stay home to attend to their duties. Um, many of the women in, um, in Maasai land, where I am, um, have to be home from until 10 in the morning when the cows go out after they've been milked, um, tea's been made, um, things have been readied for the kids that, who do run off to go off to boarding school or off to school, um, and they have to be home by 5 because that's when the cows come home. 
And so they have a, a very busy day, and um, they cannot leave for a very long time. So for them to get away to health education um, or even to church can be a challenge. Women also um, have little decision-making abilities of what it is that they can do, um, what it is that they own, what it is that they're able to offer even um, to participate in education and um, for their own health education. And like many places in the world, women um, in the developing world especially are embarrassed to speak about themselves and about their bodies um, and to to help you to know, to help the health providers and health educators to know what kind of information they even need to know or what they really think about it. So women's cycle life is a both a structure and a method for teaching women about health education and the Lord. Um, Community health evangelism is the the underlying base strategy that we use. And what CHE does is it provides a structure to reach out to women in the community. Um, If you know anything about CHE, you know that there's a committee that helps determine the priorities for the community once the committee identifies people, women, or in this case, um, that can represent their community, those are the women that are brought in for training. They receive training, and then those women go out and they teach home to home. Um, that structure helps this information to be delivered from a central location to each, each family in the community and each home in the places where the women live in their local language and in ways that are appropriate for them. And so the structure of community health evangelism is really essential um, to sustainability in women's cycle of life. It also uses a method of teaching that brings spiritual and physical truths to women and hope to their people and communities. Um, The methodology of CHE, we call it LEPSIS, which is learner-centered, I know it, participatory, problem-posing, yeah, lepsis, spirit-led. And I know this like the back of my hand, but it's okay because I just use it. You know, it doesn't matter what it's called in the village. But the type of method we use is participatory. And women sit around in a circle so that they don't face the back of someone else's head, but they look at someone else, you know, they can participate in the circle. We also utilize a method that helps us to sit down. We sit down as, as facilitators um, so that everyone is on the same level and there isn't someone standing over looming and teaching. Um, any time a type of teaching that they have had in the past has been directive and um, does not allow people to participate with the information. The type of teaching that we do helps women to participate, to have a voice, um, to say what they think, to give their answers, and then those are the answers that we use in the training so that the the information has come from them. It's not a, a directive teaching. It's a very different type of teaching than most of these women have ever had. Um, I often have to, um, anyone who's gone to school there, I have to help them not to stand um, because they're, they're so attuned to standing up and being like, you know, okay, now what if I say something wrong? It's like, no, 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 hon, you, are, you can sit down. It's okay. You're safe. This is a very safe place 
where you can share your ideas and interact and learn. The um, Women's Cycle of Life material also presents an adaptable curriculum that allows women to choose their priorities in education and addresses issues especially pertinent to women. Women want to know about themselves and their bodies. It has been a mystery their whole lives, and they have no idea because nobody ever told them in many, many places. We're kind of used to people talking about things like that. But women in the other, in places, um, in the developing world especially, and I think the new word is global south, developing world, have not talked about their bodies, their body processes. When I asked women, um, in every place I have asked women, if somebody had ever told them that they were going to start their period, not one woman had ever been told, and they thought they were going to die. They were scared to death, and it caused an immediate wall between them and their mother because she never told them. And they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. They thought they did something bad, something horrific. This is shameful. It's terrible. And when they realized that they could tell they could talk about it and that they could tell others. It was like they were free. You know, I have goosebumps because I'm imagining when I was doing this in the Maasai community and they said, we're, we're free. <laughs> the truth, we should know the truth and the truth should set us free. You don't have to hide. When Jesus died, he died for sin and shame. Have to carry that kind of shame. He made your body. He's not afraid about it. He's not embarrassed about it. He's not ashamed about it. We can be modest, but still know the truth. Well, the other thing that we know for sure is that healthy women equals healthy families and healthy communities. I think I've covered these things. We, again, ideally, Women's Cycle of Life training fits in the CHE program. We, if an existing CHE program is there, this is an ideal fit, um, addresses women intimately. But it's also been used as a catalyst to initiate new programs. Again, touching, you know, people where they hurt. You know, we say scratching people where they itch, addressing a felt need. Well, this is a felt need, and it doesn't take very long to get a group of ladies who want to talk about their lives and their bodies um, and get information that they've been starving for. So that can be a way to a catalyst um, to develop new programs or partnerships between churches and clinics and communities. And once trained people can teach each other, women teach each other, we use, again, participatory methods. Um, I use stories. Most of the ladies, as I say, are... Um, Preliterate, as is the PC way to say that, they're uh, illiterate, and they um, we use stories so that they can teach the lessons to other women in their community rather than facts, you know, just um, points, bullet points. They learn stories so that they can remember. Um, in fact, I use the Martha story with them um, predominantly so that all of the lessons are inside there. Did you hear about malaria? Did you hear about 
why it's important to go to the clinic, preparing to go to the clinic, planning for transportation to go to the clinic or hospital should you need it, um, family planning, um, traditional practices, all of those things are there in the lesson. And they can remember, as a woman who cannot read, they can remember what lessons they need to teach. And I have several of those stories so that they can remember their curriculum without a piece of paper. Um, I'm also working on a, um, a picture book, like a 16-page glossy picture book, because there are so many lessons. Um, and we're, gonna, we're working on a way to be able to distribute those in places where the trainers, again, where we're going to have filter down with the trainers and need to have a, um, a reminder, a curriculum reminder. Oh, here's the, the trainings with the Maasai ladies. Some of the topics that we include are women's perspective, women's worth, God's perspective. You know, women are valuable. They're valuable to their communities. And if you read Proverbs 31, next time I challenge you to look at it differently. Look at it from the perspective of what women offer to their families and communities. What value does she have in the community? It's amazing. It's amazing what she can do. And God sees her that way. It's valuable. Phases in a woman's life... Things like we talked about puberty, childbearing years, menopause. There are women out there that think that they have been pregnant for two years because <laughs> they stopped their period. Or what happened to me? Or that continued sexuality during, during um, menopause makes you constipated. Well, Menopause makes you constipated. Not <laughs> and so there are a lot of things that are misconceptions that when um, they're opened up, people go, oh, this is normal. These are normal changes. And so it's really, really helpful to them. We also do um, relationship um, lessons about mother and daughter-in-law relationships, husband-wife relationships, um, mother-child relationships, beauty and God's word. There's my little ladies. They saw, they got a picture of female anatomy, and they, I love this picture because they were out in the community with their showing each other, oh, this is this, you know, this is an ovary. And I wear that on my front when I'm doing that lesson with the ovaries. And, and that's not the worst of it because I make them do head and shoulders, knees and toes, ovaries, uterus, vagina. <laughs> and they love it. They think it's like the best ever because, again, they've never seen any of this. They have no idea what's in there. So it's really fun. Anatomy, physiology, fertility cycle, understanding the fertility cycle. How important is that? So those are some of the lessons. Well, women's cycle life, because it uses um, evidence-based health education, we know that that um, education provides decreased infant mortality and maternal mortality rates improves husband-life relationships has been some of the comments that we've received. Improves nutrition and hygiene and turns, in turn improves their health and introduces women to a God who loves them and cares enough to relate to them in a way that they can understand. Here's some of the things that women have said. The lessons in the worth of the woman in God's eyes help me to know myself. 
It changed how I talk, how I walk, how I respond to people in our church, and how I respond to my husband. I'm serving the Lord in our church and teaching women about their worth. Also, I have gathered a group of widows and helped them in practical ways. Knowing my worth helped give me a kind, loving heart. We'd never known about such things as personal hygiene, keeping our bodies and our clothes clean. These lessons made me think, this is not for me, just for me. I have so much to teach my mother and my sisters and my friends. And then we did it ourselves. And like I said, that was one of the most exciting things when I was there last month. When I went to that little clinic and they said, well, we did it ourselves. Because they saw the need and transformation is coming to their community. Well, there's lots of um, other women's cycle life training sites. Um, in India, there um, have been, I think, two seminars. Is that right, Isla? Costa Rica and Nicaragua are using Women's Cycle of Life as a uh, training flat platform. Ethiopia, Chad, I was just in Chad in, uh, in September. Now, these ladies were, were the church leaders from uh, 40 different churches in their area, and most of them, many of them, were literate, which was really exciting for me because I want people to know God's word and the women to know that what I'm speaking is the truth, and when they can look at it themselves and say and see what's there, it really is exciting. Um, And I'm working on that for my Maasai ladies, but it's time coming. But these ladies were absolutely fabulous, and I can assure you that they will be the leaders of uh, community health education in their um, places because they were impassioned for um, reaching women for Christ. Um, This is Sharon Abibi on the motorcycle who is in Ethiopia leading the Women's Cycle of Life program there. There have been trainings in Tanzania, South Sudan. I was there last week in South Sudan with uh, 24 women, four literate women, and 18 nursing babies. And that was an exciting <coughs> seminar. bunch of, you know, that was exciting. I thought I was going to die the first day. Oh, and I didn't tell you, four languages. Is it going itself? Yeah, we translated into four different languages. So it was a great training. Also, Central Asia, Europe, Afghanistan, China, and Haiti are places where women's cycle of life has gone. We can use short-term teams and volunteers to participate in women's cycle of life around the world. It can be introduced to Western churches and women's groups. We actually have a women's cycle of life packet um, to introduce women to women's cycle of life, it is uh, for like a home party um, or a women's Bible study. It has interactive training materials to show women how women's cycle of life works to reach women. Um, the materials include the basics of some cross-cultural education, which is essential to using this um, overseas in the places that we work in, um, and also how the holistic ministry works how is it that we combine physical and spiritual with development? And um, I wanted to actually show you the packet, but I'm hoping I can walk with this stuff. I don't usually have a tail. This is what the packet looks like. And in it is a sample packet of the lessons that we use. 
so it has lessons in there. Um, it has a DVD in there with introduction of how it can be used. Um, and works, helps the uh, hostess go step by step through the process. Some of the other things that we use um, in our trainings are a knitted uterus. And um, these knitted uteri, how do you pluralize uterus, uteri, I've known a couple people with more than one, Um, they are um, easy to make. It's kind of like a sleeve. So they're very easy to make, and we can use volunteers to make those. Um, The materials that we use here are very easy. We have a little baby. If, you know, women... um, this is really, really helpful tool in many places. Um, this is a 12-week size fetus um, for my ladies in Africa, and we have um, dark-colored ones too. Those are the ones I use, um, our dark-colored babies. But um, there, some of the white ladies are afraid to touch it, so usually I go around several times and mention that this is not real, that this is just a little plastic model of a baby because they're not used to seeing anything like this, but this is really helpful in understanding how we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and God knows us. And did you know that you were not alone in your mother's womb? I thought I was alone. I thought I was by myself. God was there, and he was holding us in his hand. So I like to use that a lot for that. We have a nearly full-size baby that can be made and stuffed in the field very easily with a cord and a placenta. Um, Again, that helps us to be able to teach these um, and to teach why it's so important mom is still well-nourished. And then, like this. What do you think this is made out of? Pantyhose, piece of cloth. A little bit of stuffing. So very easy, easy to be replicated. Um, my ladies in Chad, when they saw this little baby, and because I thought, well, that's the hardest part to get there, and they said, oh, we can make that. We just make it out of clay. So really, we, um, as much as possible, these are replicated in the field rather than from outside, but we often we bring them for the initial training so that they have a model. Um, there's a pattern in the packet um, and without, you know, the baby without the stuffing so that it's really flat and easy to transport. And that's really actually fun to use. Um, some other ways we've used the Women's Cycle of Life is just to, for a week-long seminar, to inspire and encourage women and um, on weekly sessions, um, helping the, communi- the workers in the community begin to develop relationships and trust in the community and integrate it into other trainings to increase education and really create awareness about women's um, health issues, women's-related issues. So what are some next things? And I'm going to give you a chance to ask questions. I don't even know what time is it, how many minutes do we have left? Okay, perfect. We have 10 minutes. So there's some next steps for you if you are interested in women's cycle of life. Um, I actually would ask that you would pray for women around the world. Um, there's a tremendous, tremendous need. Um, women, I, you don't want to have to ta- attend very many sessions here to understand that women around the world are oppressed. Um, women are sold into slavery. Women in my communities are sold for cows. Um, 
Their value is in the number of children they, they can produce. And life is very hard um, for many of them. And for those who come to know Jesus, there's hope. There's hope. They come to love their, their families. Their heart melts for him and for others. And they begin to take care of themselves as they realize that their body is the living sacrifice. So the next steps for you, um, Medical Ambassadors Booth has the um, brochures and materials and that kind of thing. Um, should you want them, you can also um, write to Medical Ambassadors or you know email or call phone. Um, and ask for the Women's Cycle Life Hostess packet and do a home party um, to help other people understand about the plight of women in the world. Um, we encourage you also to read Half the Sky if you have not read Half the Sky. Um, Darrow Miller also writes a book called Nurturing the Nations, um, which I have used in um, some of the development of the materials and thought processes as well. Of reaching women. Um, there are brochures over here on the drum, steel drum. Um, so there's brochures. There's also an attendance sheet, which I, lo- I don't know where that is. So I have to look. I think it must be over there. And I'll make sure a pen gets there um, just so that we know that you're here and if you'd like any um, follow up. And um, like I said, there's three consultants, Women's Cycle of Life consultants, and so there's one for your area, and we um, will help work with you in partnership in making sure Women's Cycle of Life um, can come to the areas where you're working if you like. And holding a home party or thinking of volunteering and um, joining us and training, the first step for you is to take a TOT1, which is a... um, Uh, Community Health Evangelism TOT1 so that you understand the strategy and can, when you come to the field to help us, you understand kind of the underlying philosophy of how we help people to help themselves and um, integrating spiritual and physical ministry. Um, It's 2101, which is upstairs. upstairs, I I think we're upstairs. Right over there. Yeah, it's just here on the far left and on then on the right side. Any questions? Yes. It is very effective. Absolutely. And it, it's happening on both ends. I mean, in, in Central Asia, they're doing ultrasounds to find out if the baby is a girl at, at 20 weeks or 22 weeks, doing an ultrasound and then aborting um, the baby if it's a girl. And, and I'm not making that up because I had a woman um, neonatologist come to me and say, Please, please tell me how I can have a boy because I just, I had two, two baby girls and they were so beautiful and I had to abort them because my husband said, you will not bring another girl into this home. 
oh, it gives me goosebumps still. It's horrible. But, yes, the training helps a tremendous amount. Number one, because they understand how, even explain how the sex of a baby is determined. And women go, oh. And men, when I teach them this, and especially Christian men go, oh, oh, you mean God. God determined the sex of this baby. And he's holding this, that baby in his hand. Well, that makes a big difference. He knit us in our mother's womb. What we believe makes a difference. So it really does make a difference. We utilize this, um, this education to really help reduce the um, infanticide and uh, abortion as well. Mm-hmm. Yes? Mm-hmm. And cousin marriage. Yeah, anybody? We, yeah, we have some for um, what is PC to call FGM. I call it female circumcision just because that's what my ladies call it. Um, we do have materials on that that helps them to look at the risks and benefits and then decide for themselves. And when you do that, it's quite clear <laughs> that the risks outweigh the benefits. In Yes. And I, I, yeah, I actually have it in my kind of private collection, too, <laughs> um, because I wrote it for trying to be very culturally sensitive to the ladies that we work with. Yeah because I think God will help them make that decision. We actually have 16 um, members of the committee who have all committed to not having their daughters circumcised. And that's like a big hooray, and um, we'll pray for them because this is a challenge. Yeah. Does that material include the other aspect of sewing the opening shot? The size of a rice kernel? It does, because it addresses it's culturally appropriate. So it will, it will bring out that information so that it addresses that information. That's how the materials are developed is so that the answers come from the community and so that we can help them address what their issue is because, of course, there's different beliefs and there's different activities of these things all over the world. And so when we utilize materials where it's participatory and the answers come from the community, it's already it's, it's naturally culturally adapted. We are. Today, right now, as we speak, there are women in Colorado being trained to, um, to reach uh, Somali women. Um, we, that is something, and actually I think I had it up on the slide, but anyway, something we like to see. A lot of churches are beginning to work in the refugee communities. Um, actually, I had a gal with me from World Relief who is in Sudan doing Women's Cycle of Life. And she said, this is what we need for some of our women because they do come... Um, they come with no education, no understanding of how their body works. They go to the hospital, and um, many things happen, and they're unaware, and they're afraid. And, you know, so um, 
And it is a tremendous opportunity for the church to begin reaching into the refugee communities. They can certainly, um, they can, and you should, um, could use uh, obstetrician offices, other community outreaches to them to invite them to your Women's Cycle of Life training so that they could come to know Jesus as well. So um, it's a great opportunity for the church. Yeah. Increasingly, yes. We're actually in the process of, of developing a women's cycle of life for men. <laughs> um, all my ladies are like, you got to tell our husbands this because they got to know. You know, I mean, you're not on an island. You can't, I mean, you can't, especially when you're talking about things like family planning. You know, they're not on their own. There's another half to the, to the pair um, who, or several in my area because we have um, lots of multiple wives, but um, they they nef- definitely need to be included in this, and we are doing women, some women's cycle life training for, for men, and they really need it, and they love it. My translators, when I have translators, like in Sudan, my translators were guys, which is not ideal, but that's what I had, so that's what I had to use, and um, they were just absolutely intrigued, and one of them said, I know I wasn't in the session last, but I stood next to the building so I could hear. Because <laughs> they want to know. You know, it's been a mystery. Nobody told them either. You know, and so they've got their ear up against the... <laughs> so I, my guys in Maasai land have been really, really good staying, staying away and letting us kind of do our thing because um, that, it's so sensitive in that community. And um, I... Yeah, they've been wonderful to kind of let us, like I said, you know, and not sort of blow around the circle around the building or anything. So, yeah, anybody else? You, um, you talked about that you were in Afghanistan. So how is the Muslim community and the women receptive and men of this? I haven't heard for a while, but what I do know is, I mean, because I'm not – on the ground there at this point, but it was very well received. And actually, the the um, they did a birth and life saving skills, and it was for men, because their women never go outside, and they needed to know how to help save their wife's life, and when they needed to go to the hospital and make a plan. Um, the um, in, the maternal mortality rate in Afghanistan is one in eight. Yeah, in Africa, one in 16, in Congo, one in 12, in developed countries, one in 1,800. So we've got a long ways to go in places, in many places of the world, just being a woman and giving birth is the riskiest life activity you can do. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but they are easily easy to get a hold of from from uh, medical ambassadors. Um, there are little women in, in Modesto knitting their hearts out so that we have kits to use. So, um, yeah, they are available. And my second question was the TOT1 training. Mm-hmm. How long is that? It is five days. So it is a commitment. Um, 
but it really helps to put a lot of theory into practice of how do you, you know, we, we know best practices now of development and community ownership and helping people identify and solve their own problems and, you know, all of those things that we know are best practices, but how do you actually do that? And, and the CHE training is actually a practical, how do you do that? in the community. So it is five days. Some places they're doing two weekend, weekends back to back. Um, we've done that and um, we thought it was helpful for people who were working and stuff that couldn't carve out five days for a training. But um, yeah, anybody else? And then we want to make sure we give time. Yes, sir. Um, do you want to put the website up or tell us if the website is Yeah, um, it is. Oh, I put it up here. Well, maybe I'll just tell you. It's on the back of all the brochures. And it's medicalambassadors.org. Now again, yes, Medell? Yes, medicalambassadors.org. So, and you can find a lot of information on the website. There's, um, there is a section, a tab for Women's Cycle of Life. Um, there's a very interesting, it's called Healing Lives over here. There are not very many here. But um, very interesting um, handout. It's not a handout. What is it? It's a booklet. It's a big brochure. It's a book. Pamphlet. What do you call that? I don't know. Anyway, it's over there. Call Healing Lives, and it's wonderful. It tells about stories of women and women's cycle life all over the world. Um, and then there are brochures there. So thank you so much for coming. If you have questions, I, I actually have to go. I'm speaking at the, in the next session on HIV and my HIV work among the Maasai people. So I have to scoot. So otherwise I would stay late. But thank you.